Welcome to the Perimenopausal Mamas podcast for hormonal mamas who want to reclaim their own natural state of health to thrive and raise healthy kids. I'm Dr. Lisa Weeks, naturopathic doctor in Toronto, Canada, and I'm a perimenopausal mama to my little boy named Stuart. And I'm Dr. Tony Reed, naturopathic doctor, birth doula, and hypnobirthing educator in Calgary, Canada, and I'm a perimenopausal mama to my little girl, Frankie. Thanks for supporting us for the past 100 episodes. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also support us by visiting our Patreon page, where you can find out how you can join us for our monthly patron webinar, where we do a deeper dive discussion about all things perimenopause. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not meant to substitute professional medical advice. Always consult with your licensed healthcare provider. Welcome back, everyone, to the Perimenopausal Mamas podcast. This is Dr. Tony, and I'm with Dr. Lisa again today. Hey, Lisa. Yay. Hi, Tony. <laughs> Oh, uh, Dr. Lisa and I wanted to talk about a topic. I mean, I feel kind of connected with I don't know, Lisa, if you do or not. I feel very connected with this. Uh, <laughs> how our periods can go and especially going into perimenopause. Um, you know, it's very common for women to experience some kind of what is termed abnormal uterine bleeding in their life. And this is where irregularities can most commonly occur when you start your period around menarche. And yay, in perimenopause. Lots to look forward to. Lots of other things that are good too. But you know, we just want to have this awareness. Yeah, I do have a bit of a, a relationship. I don't have long periods, but they come fast and pretty intense. So I need to double up on the products I'm using. You know, I'm always conscious that second day, it's usually just one or two days that are really heavy for me. So I know people have it way worse and I haven't had any accidents uh, lately. So that's been good. But I think this this happens to a lot of people, right? They, I hear the horror stories of gushing, right? Where they're out and they have their period. They might have, you know, a pad on, a tampon, but they just like get this flood of flow. And it's so embarrassing. I think a lot of women can relate to that. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I know, especially after I had Frankie, like, that's what I was not looking forward to because I'm like, I mean, my mother had a lot of issues with heavy bleeding um, after she had us so much so that, you know, as kids, we knew about it because it was just so intense and it really impacted, you know, when she had your, her period, what we were doing, um, going out over on the weekend or what have you. And that's something that I wasn't looking forward to, especially because I had quite heavy um, periods, you know, even throughout having a period. And again, this is where I'm, I'm so thankful to be through that perimenopausal journey into menopause where, ah, I don't have to worry about this, especially again, I'll be talking about iron because and I'm on a mission now for women to have enough iron. And that can be a really tough thing when you have heavy bleeding, um, like I did. But, and again, it's common. 
so common. And, uh, and again, Lisa, we often, like you said, even think, well, I don't have it that bad. It, you know, it's, you know, it's, you know, people have it worse. But again, you know, this is where looking at the flow of your period is really important. And it can lead, it can point to some issues that are happening as well as especially with that um that blood loss it definitely can have an impact on how you feel energy wise um mood wise it, it can really impact your day to day and and so you may be even wondering okay well what's normal what's abnormal um this is where you know we we even have an idea of what's normal when it comes to uh, a period is, you know, your period should be lasting. A normal period lasts anywhere from two to seven days with five to 80 milliliters of blood loss and with your menstrual cycle being 24 to 38 days. Although, again, that's, you know, a very conventional um, description. 38 days still seems quite quite a bit longer than I like to see in my practice. So I, I, I start to look at anything over 35 days and start to question that. And then you may be wondering, Definitely. well, okay. Oh, so go, go ahead, Lisa. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, yeah. So yeah, you might be, you're probably going to answer that. I don't know if you want to cover that, but what does that look like, right? Like the five to 80 milliliters of blood, um, you know, it, it can look like a lot, right? Like a tampon, a light tampon can hold about three milliliters of blood, maybe a regular one, five milliliters. Fully saturated super tampon can hold up to 12 milliliters of fluid. Um, a daytime pad that's been saturated can hold about five milliliters. A fully soaked overnight pad can hold 10 to 15 milliliters. The menstrual cup, like a diva cup, can hold up to 30 mils, although people typically empty it before it gets totally full. So you could do a little bit of math in your head and say, oh my gosh, on my heavy day, I'm using, you know, six saturate, six super tampons and they're saturated. So what that would be like 72 mils just on that first like, heavy day. So it could add up pretty quickly for a lot of people. So see if you fall into that category. And we know about a third of women will experience abnormal uterine bleeding in their life. And about 80% of the women that have abnormal uterine bleeding have no known anatomical pathology. But there is that 20% where it can be a red flag for other problems like different types of cancer, which we'll get into. Um, but at least now you have kind of a yardstick in terms of amount of flow, right, Tony? It's, it's yeah, it can add up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And like you said, Lisa, you know, on day two of my period was my heavy day. And I used to use a diva cup. And I would be, you know, absolutely emptying that um, every few hours. So, you know, absolutely on that heavy day, I was really if not reaching that 80 milliliters of blood loss, even more so. So that's something to to watch. Again, that that uh, using a cup can be nice in terms of measuring, but again, those 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 other ways of measuring to say, okay, you know, how often are you changing your pattern? 
your tampon? What kind of powder tampon are you using? Are you doubling up on products? Are you using like a super tampon and some period panties or a pad underneath? And, and that kind of thing that gives you, you know, an idea if you're getting into that abnormal range. And especially also if you are passing clots the size of a quarter or larger with your period. That's um that's absolutely something to to look for. And again, like we said, it's very common uh, in perimenopause. There can be some changes that happen when uh, where it can lead to uh, a higher likelihood of this happening. and and often again, like we've talked about, Lisa, with perimenopause, there's the hormone fluctuations. So this can be uh, a key piece of where, even having uh, the lower uh, progesterone sometimes, again, can lead to, um, you know, less shedding. You may also not be ovulating in perimenopause with every single cycle. And not ovulating will have um, also an impact on the lining and the, and the thickness of your endometrial lining. If you're not breaking down your estrogen properly or um, you're exposed to different endocrine disrupting chemicals like plastics and other things in our environment, or if you're having imbalance with your gut microbiome, that can have, have lead you to have higher levels of estrogen in your body. And when we have that higher estrogen, that really has us build up that endometrial lining that we then shed um, after we, again, have a decrease in progesterone at the end of our menstrual cycle. So when those hormone levels are different in perimenopause, that can not only shift ovulation, it can also shift how you're experiencing your periods, what the thickness of your endometrial um, layer is and, and not. And, and that's where there is a really a kind of fancy acronym that is used clinically to look at, again, like you said, Lisa, those structural or non-structural issues that can cause heavy bleeding. And so absolutely with the structural issues, again, it's um, it's not as common. And that's where looking at, again, if there's any polyps, if there's any fibroids, which we've talked about on the podcast, um, if there's a change in your uterus um, that is endomyosis, uh, or sorry, adenomyosis, that's where, again, that can impact bleeding. And that's something where, uh, again, uh, easily de detected by uh, an ultrasound, a transvaginal ultrasound. And so yeah, when absolutely. you are having that bleeding, that's really important to look at because that can also pick up if there's any benign or non-cancerous issues or even cancerous issues as well. 
For sure. And then other contri- other causes can include issues with coagulation, right? People can have inherited bleeding disorders, or if you're on an anticoagulant medication, that could impact how heavy your flow is. And we talked about this before, going through perimenopause, you have less, you know, um, healthy eggs, the follicles um, that contain the eggs, like they're not the way they used to be. So then you might not actually ovulate. So you can have ovulatory dysfunction or anovulation. Ovulation. So when you ovulate, you might not make as much progesterone from that leftover, what's called corpus luteum, after you've ovulated that um, egg, that follicle. And then there can be um, just like, so anovulatory, you don't ovulate either. You're not ovulating at all, but you build up kind of that estrogen level and the lining keeps building up and you can have an anovulatory bleed that can be heavier as well. So maybe you have a ovulation, but you're not making enough progesterone from that, or you don't ovulate. So it has that imbalance, that unopposed estrogen, right? And then whatever progesterone you have drops and you get that period. But other ovulation problems can be contributed to like what can contribute to them include cortisol, like high cortisol levels, um, low melatonin, thyroid issues, hyper or hypothyroid can be associated with abnormal uterine bleed. So we'll talk about some of the testing that you can get done as well, just to rule out any other um, causes. And we've talked about this before, like with iron, right? Is it the chicken or the egg? Because if you have low iron, you're going to have heavy periods. If you have heavy periods, you're going to have low iron. Um, So we definitely want to do investigation there. And then some iatrogenic causes. So these are kind of like external causes, like different medications um, being used may may cause the abnormal uterine bleed. So we mentioned anticoagulants, but even some SSRIs. So the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors for depression. I haven't seen this too often. I don't know if you have, Tony, but um, that can definitely be a contributing factor. Corticosteroids, antipsychotic medications, hormonal medications, tamoxifen, and potentially some herbal substances that can influence coagulation and clotting like ginseng, ginkgo, you know, soy and supplement forms um, may alter clotting and estrogen levels too. Yeah. Tony, have you seen a lot of um, abnormal uterine bleeding on people uh, with in people on SSRIs? You know, I I've have really not. seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was I was a little bit surprised to to read that. And, too. and and again, so something to to watch for. And um, especially you never know it, when you're watching for something, you may see it more often. So it'll be interesting to see about that. I definitely see more issues with women who have chosen to get a copper IUD over a hormonal IUD. That's a, a, a you know, a pretty mm-hmm. classic potential side effect of a copper IUD is heavier bleeding. Um, and just some people, when they are on the birth control pill, will have heavier bleeding as well. So those are are a couple of other ones that um, that are are possible. Also, uh, you know, there's some other kind of um, not otherwise cl- otherwise classified um, issues that can happen, which again you need to have properly assessed pelvic inflammatory disease, chronic liver disease, uh, inflammation of the cervix. And I have seen some women after having kids be diagnosed with endometriosis, which is where your, uh, you know, there's endometrial-like tissue growing outside of the uterus. And, and that can, again, is often linked with 
abnormal bleeding, but also with pain, um, really painful periods, uh, pain with bowel movements, pain with sex, that kind of thing as well. Definitely. Yeah, we're talking about more in like perimenopausal and kind of your earlier reproductive years, but in postmenopausal women, there can be abnormal uterine bleeding as well. So in a postmenopausal woman, if they've gone 12 months without a vaginal bleed, but then they start to get blood flow, they get kind of like a period that's, uh, you know, considered abnormal uterine bleeding. But if postmenopausal women are using hormone therapy, depending on the type and when the estrogens and the progesterones are being dose, sometimes it actually does have, there is a withdrawal bleed that they're getting. So, you know, depending on what hormones and, you know, they'll be monitored for that, that may be considered normal, but it's also abnormal uterine bleeding if it's unpredictable bleeding in postmenopausal women who've been receiving hormone therapy for 12 months or more. So usually in that first year of hormone therapy, things are, the body's adjusting, there's, there might be some breakthrough bleeding and spotting, you know, you still want to talk to your healthcare provider and get investigations done if if indicated. But after that 12 months of being on hormone therapy, it's more of a concern, more of a red flag. It's pretty common when you're initiating hormone therapy. Yeah. And, and again, sometimes that can be a little bit tricky um, if someone has is just into menopause to be like, okay, you know, after that 12 months, getting another, um, getting a bleed or getting a period. It's like, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, is it, is it really menopause? Mm-hmm. Is it not? You know, um, I think about, again, my experience with, uh, with menopause and, and again, even other patients that I've talked to where sometimes it's like, okay, 11 months and then you have a bleed and then it's like, okay, is this normal? Is this not? Um, thankfully here in Canada, it's, it's very easy and very common to get an ultrasound to just, again, get that checked out so that we don't have to, um, wonder and, and worry that it's, um, you know, anything uh, serious. So, um, yeah, you definitely want to get that transvaginal ultrasound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The abdominal ultrasound is great, but also having, you know, that ultrasound wand um, going into the vaginal canal just gives a better picture of what's going on there. Um, also, if you are over 45, typically what's recommended is also to get an endometrial biopsy. So, you know, a sampling of your endometrial tissue. And that sampling is also recommended if you're younger than 45 and have something like um, polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS or have a higher body weight um, or or if you're just having really persistent bleeding and nothing is working, that's where getting that sampling is really important to double check where where things are at. For sure. And then you want to, you know, cover all your bases with some blood work, like a complete blood count. So you can check your hemoglobin levels and other parameters to see if you're anemic, because most likely you probably are if it's that heavy and you're getting 80 mils of blood loss um, for your period. You want to get your iron stores, the ferritin, the iron panel, a coagulation panel to see what your clotting markers are. You want to get a thyroid test, the full thyroid panel we've talked about. You can get different gonads 
gonadotropin and prolactin levels, so different types of hormones measured, and then some of those um, investigations with the transvaginal ultrasound and the sauna hysterography with endometrial biopsy. So there's lots of ways to investigate. And remember, 80% of those with abdominal (laughs) abnormal uterine bleed um, don't have any anatomical pathologies, but it's still something you don't want to ignore, right? You have to rule everything out. And then we can get into treatments. Tony, what do you think? Do you think we've done enough explanation of the causes and what it is? Yeah, exactly. Because if if there's nothing structural happening, and again, fingers crossed that there's nothing like that going on, and most likely there isn't, then what? Then what are you going to do about it? And is, you know, um, I always put in front of any kind of treatment, I am so adamant about making sure that women with heavy bleeding um, are looking at addressing any iron deficiency or anemia. And especially when you get your lab testing, again, all what we can do in our in the show notes is also put a link to the iron episode that I did. Um, because you may have normal uh, hemoglobin levels or normal ferritin levels in the reference range provided by the lab. But if it's low normal, then that often is linked with iron deficiency. I've gone over this with patients before where we actually read, you know, the explanation under underneath the uh, the reference range for ferritin, which, you know, is like in in actually in Alberta, at least is 20 to 300. And the explanation underneath says anything less than 45 is linked with iron deficiency. Well, so you could have normal ferritin and still have iron deficiency. So, okay. End of rant. (laughs) It's so important though, Tony. I totally agree. Yeah, it makes a huge difference in terms of how we feel, right? And even preventing hair loss. Yes, supporting energy and mood. You know, we need the right iron levels for our thyroid to function properly. It's not just iodine. It has impacts all over the body. And so many women are told they're normal and they're not. So see your naturopath, get a second set of eyes to look at those numbers. And even optimal ferritin in my eyes is working towards getting it to be 70, which can be a stretch for a lot of people. And you want to do the marker of inflammation to HSCRP um, to make sure that like ferritin can go up, falsely elevated in inflammation. Um, So you kind of want to look at it from a few different angles, but it's so important, right, Tony? Especially in this age category and perimenopause, so many women are suffering and they're already feeling tired because they're not sleeping because they're getting night sweats and, and they have low iron on top of it. All the things, Lisa. And that's where, again, I, you know, before we were recording today, I was, I was just thinking, I'm just, I'm so thankful that again, I went through my perimenopausal journey in menopause, feeling great. And looking back, I was just like, why didn't I take more iron? So <laughs> there we go, people. Um, we live and learn. We live and learn and we share. <laughs> exactly. Learn from my mistakes. And then there's, you know, there's some other options. There's some pharmaceutical options, there's hormonal options, and, you know, especially there's a number of different hormonal options. Again, you know, you could look at doing a birth control pill, you could look at doing, you know, a combined estrogen progesterone pill, you could do a progesterone only pill, or even whether it's a uh, oral micronized progesterone, which is progesterone, or you could do a progestin only uh, 
contraceptive pill or a hormonal IUD, which is that synthetic progesterone, progestin, which uh, again, some women are choosing more and more. And it has really been shown to really significantly decrease bleeding and, um, and again, help to support, you know, getting those iron levels back up. And again, with, you know, with almost anything like that, there are some some risks and some some possible adverse effects that, uh, you know, again, you you do have to weigh out the risks when you do that. Sure. Yeah. I, I see good benefits too with the oral micronized progesterone, which would, you know, resonate more with our naturopathic uh, crowd. Um, there can be benefits for sleep for that too. It doesn't have the same um, risks in in terms of progestins, the synthetic, synthetic progesterones in terms of clotting when you're taking those orally, especially, but the oral micronized progesterone can have a whole host of benefits, but it's good to know there are other options because it has to, you know, fit your lifestyle and, um, you know, what are you going to be compliant doing? We always have to take that into account. And then some people use what's called transexemic acid, um, which is an oral medication you can take when your period starts. You might take it once a day for the first heavy days of flow, up to three times a day. Um, so that's to control heavy bleeding. And it's used as an antifibrinolytic agent. So it it blocks the breakdown of blood clots, which prevents bleeding. It's associated with its own side effects too. Um, we can put those in the show notes, but there are options kind of to help you acutely maybe while you're figuring out these other pieces and getting that blood work and correcting any of the deficiencies or the thyroid problems um, that may go along with it. Yeah. And, and, you know, another kind of option pharmaceutically can either be a prescription NSAID or even an over, over the counter NSAID like, you know, ibuprofen. Again, those, especially the more you use that, it has its own list of adverse effects as well. It can definitely impact the gut negatively too, the more you use it. So again, those are, are some things to watch for. Now, um, or, you know, and that's where, of course, naturopathically as well, and especially, you know, being that I don't have prescription rights here in Alberta as a naturopathic doctor, my first go-to is to use herbs, is to look at, you know, using some nutrients. Um, some of my favorite herbs to use are, you know, yarrow, shepherd's purse. These are really traditional herbs that have been used to help to reduce um, excess um, bleeding, heavy bleeding in women. Um, ginger, even as an anti-inflammatory, can also reduce bleeding. Uh, there's another herb called Vitex, which really helps to support ovulation and, and hormone regulation. Um, these are kind of some of my favorite herbs, and they don't necessarily taste very great. And they work can work really well for a lot of my patients. They've they found that it's been a, really a game changer in terms of their periods. Uh, another um, herb that I, even just to mention, something like mataki mushroom, especially um, with women who are having issues with ovulation, especially around PCOS. But I even wonder if mataki mushroom could be used to really help to support more regular ovulation in perimenopause as well. So that's you know something I want to throw in there. And then also looking at what you're taking in in terms of using food as medicine. So especially if there is an issue with estrogen breakdown and elimination, like I talked about building up your 
lining so that it's thicker than it needs to be. That's where looking at using phytoestrogens like flax seeds, um, legumes like chickpeas to get those those lignans to really help to um, balance out estrogens are important. And then increasing your veggies. Um, actually, leafy green veggies, the brassica family veggies that provide fiber, but also antioxidants to support the liver and the liver's detoxification pathways is really key. And there's actually been studies that have shown that, you know, people who have diets high in plants like leafy greens can increase that estrogen ex excretion from the body, get it out of there and decrease your concentrations of bioavailable estrogen in your body. And again, that's important if you are having an issue with that breakdown of estrogen and you are having kind of higher than ideal levels. Um, so those are something to look at as well. For sure. Yeah. And then I do like the N-acetylcysteine NAC. That's help, that supports ovulation. It may help reduce bleeding because then it's supporting ovulation and that progesterone production, which is awesome. And if you have PCOS associated with, you know, blood sugar balance, imbalance, insulin resistance in terms of your diet, right? We want to amp up the protein, the healthy fats, lower the processed carbs, the sugars, the alcohol, the carbs that you're drinking from Starbucks or all the sugars from Starbucks, all of these add up too and throw off the hormonal system, which can aggravate some of the contributing factors. And then I'm sure, you know, everybody's aware, you know, plastics, how they can impact our estrogen levels. So we want to avoid storing food in plastic, heating things up in plastic, using more stainless steel, reusable glass kind of containers too. Um, and then even the type of menstrual products you use, right? Like some people find if they have the Diva Cup or had or menstrual underwear, they don't feel like their periods are as heavy because they feel like, you know, the tampon is kind of like inducing what we call a stagnation in Chinese medicine. Like it's harder for the flow to come out. Um, so if you have a product where it's like catching it in a cup or on a pad, that may feel, you know, like it's easier to pass. Maybe it's a little less cramping. It doesn't seem so bad. So that can be um, a recommendation there. And then another fun recommendation that I saw from a yes, like, but this year, this is a good one. Yeah, that's <laughs> I wanted a good you one. to talk about it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Having period sex. Now, and again, I think this is a bit controversial controversial out there. Um, I mean, I know that I traditionally haven't been opposed to period sex. Some women feel like it's a little bit too much. Um, there may, and again, that may be a, a, a little bit of link to just like ingrained shame around periods. Um, I know it, you know, some partners may not be into it. There are some partners who are into it. Um, it does require a little bit of preparation. It's not necessarily something you necessarily do spontaneously. Um, but again, Aviva Ram found that having sex, especially when it is linked with an orgasm, can reduce blood flow. I'm so I'm not sure about the mechanism of action on that. But she even said that, okay, you know, if you if you feel uncomfortable with getting your partner on board or your partner does not want to get on board, even orgasm with self-pleasure with um with masturbation uh, has been shown to be helpful. So that's that is some research that I could really get behind. 
some some fun homework for everybody, right? And even like in that respect too, like yoga with like the hip opening poses. There's a really good Brett Larkin has a good yoga routine to do when you have your period because it's still beneficial to move our body and support the flow and kind of stretch things open and kind of move, you know, the pelvis around. So um, we can link to that as well. So just some outside of the box recommendations that maybe you haven't thought about, but I find a lot of my patients find if they do, you know, yoga specific for when they have their period, they do feel a whole lot better too. And then exercise just the rest of the menstrual cycle in levels that feel right for you and following kind of where you are in the menstrual cycle can actually reduce the heavy flow and the cramping and just some of the PMS symptoms. So move your body in ways that feel good for you. Yeah. And of course, even, yeah, getting back to again, that sleep stress component, you know, the more that we can really um, take care of ourselves, fill our cups, move in a way that works for us, you know, do things that help to support relaxation, all of those good things, right, Lisa? Exactly. Yeah. All all important pieces of homework and things to remember. And as an aside too, some people find their periods, yes, get worse with stress, but also after an illness, after a vaccine, you know, there's more inflammation in the body and they might have worse PMS, more cramping, possibly heavy flow. Sometimes that just happens for, you know, a cycle or two, but that's also, you know, a contributing factor that maybe we don't have as, as much control over, but we can have things to reduce inflammation. That like the ginger, like you mentioned, Tony, like omega-3, even just ensuring your vitamin D levels are are at the optimal level is going to reduce your PMS symptoms too. Yeah. And I don't think we've talked about castor oil packs as often. Oh no, we we forgot. Yeah, we have not. Definitely have to talk more about castor oil in a future episode as well. Not to take internally to put it on your skin topically. Definitely. Yeah. You don't want to be running to the washroom and that laxative. You take it orally. I've never taken it orally. You want to do the castor oil packs. And then acupuncture I use a lot too for hormonal issues, for cramping, for PMS symptoms. So that can be so useful. And even abdominal massage, my abdominal massage is amazing too, especially if there's some of these anatomical issues like fibroids or endometriosis or scar tissue from C-section. So there's a whole host of supports out there. I think uh, we covered them all. What do you think? Tony. Well, most of them anyway. (laughs) I think we did a good job of covering them. And I think, again, this is just such important information for women to know because, um, you know, you out there, you may be listening and thinking, I had no idea about this. You know, there sometimes it's like either medication or surgical issues or surgical options and nothing in between. But there's a lot that you can do before looking at doing anything serious with your body. And there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Menopause. Yay, menopause. (laughs) (laughs) Too funny. Well, I think we did a great job covering um, abnormal uterine bleed. So let's shift to the second part of the podcast. So uh, Tony, I want you to share your super mom moment with us. I do have a super mom moment for this week. it does. It seems like they're few and far between, but I do have one. Oh, that's true. What are you? T- you're an awesome mom, Tony. <laughs> Thanks. Well, it's uh, well, it's Valentine's Day week, so uh, instead of going and buying Valentine's Day cards for Frankie's class, I asked her if she wanted to. First, I asked her if she wanted to make them or buy them, and she said just buy them. So I was like, okay, well. 
will go and and pick some up. But then we saw a little Valentine's Day craft package, and and that, and she was really drawn to that. I thought, well, this is this is better than just buying your kind of typical already made up Valentine's Day cards. And actually, it was really lovely. I'm not much of a craft person. Um, that's not something that really comes naturally to me. So this was a great opportunity for us to sit together and and make some Valentine's Day cards ourselves. It, it had different um, sticky hearts. It had different sizes of hearts, different colors. There was felt hearts and shiny hearts and and sparkly stickers. So it it really allowed both of us to have a, a little creative outlet. And it was a, just a really nice little activity for us to do together. So that's my super mom. I love that. That sounds so fun. <laughs> Great job. <laughs> now lisa i know you're an amazing mom but do you have a mom to share <laughs> i do so we haven't had much snow here but we've gone skiing well as a family twice and Stuart did some ski lessons with his cousins another time but we got him some ski boots and this was a new pair because the other ones weren't closing properly we get them used from this great guy who just comes to your house and sizes you but so we needed to get an updated pair so we got those and then when we put them on he said oh one of the boots was a bit too tight but I thought it was a little too loose on the looser setting that it would come undone so I was like no no it's okay so I just tightened it the way I thought it should be but then at the end of the day when he took his boot off he had this big red mark on the top of his foot he's like mommy see I told you and I guess the other boot wasn't as tight as the one I tightened so he was right I was wrong I learned my lesson he wasn't in a lot of pain but he could feel it. So it, it healed pretty quickly. But now I know to listen to him when he says his ski boots are too tight. <laughs> oh, and good lesson to good, good lesson, lesson to listen. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you're still a great mom, Lisa. So oh, thank you. Thanks, Tony. And what's your mama must have? Well, my mama must have for this week, I think we're both on the the kind of this <laughs> the same wavelength for mama must haves with with winter in Canada, especially winter on the prairies out here, it can get dry. So um, my mama must have for this week is using my neti pot. So having a neti pot with a saline um, mix, I will often add a little bit of some xylitol granules um, just to, again, help to rinse out the sinuses. It can be really great for a dryness in the winter. It can be great for kind of rinsing out the sinuses and, and clearing out anything that you may have breathed in, especially if there's, you know, kind of viruses and other stuff going around. And it's can it can be really nice for reducing congestion, especially at the beginning of a cold and especially if you have allergies as well. So um big fan of my neti pot. How about you, yeah, Lisa? Pretty What's your similar? Mine's like the the cheat easy way of a neti pot. So it's like the X Lear, I think is how you say it. Instead of clear, the C is replaced with an X, X Lear. It's a nasal spray. And they have one mixed with tea tree and oil of oregano in there. It has a xylitol in there too, which has antimicrobial effects. So I actually got a sinus infection. I think we're gonna have to do an episode on immunity and perimenopause because I've been getting sick a lot more than I normally do. Maybe I'm a little burnt out. Um, I have recently started oral microdized progesterone and that's supposed 
supposed to help. So I'll fill you in as I continue my journey on that. Um, but this really helped to clear out the nasal passages. I also did nebulized glutathione on myself, which I do for patients to help break up that congestion and mucus and support immunity, reduce inflammation. And I had some acupuncture done by somebody else because it's kind of hard to do it on myself in the sinus area. I do it a lot for patients with sinus infections and allergies too. I actually got a little bruise in one of the spots, but I just felt like things drank. So I was even getting that like teeth pain, upper jaw pain. I was like, oh yeah, this is a sinus infection. Like I didn't clue in at the beginning because I hadn't had one before, but I'm like, why do I have a headache? And why is there all this pressure in these weird spots on my face? And I'm like, oh, that's what it is, a sinus infection. So um, there's lots of good supports out there if you're feeling congested, if you have dry nasal passages, or you have a sinus infection or allergies. So we had kind of an immune-focused mama must-have this week. Yeah, the X-layer drops are definitely one of my favorites as well. And and again, yeah, the using that nebulized glutathione, doing acupuncture, you you really hit it in all areas, Lisa. So there's some some great options. Thanks, there. Well, I had to. It was like pretty uncomfortable. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Now I understand when patients have it. I kind of had an idea, but now I get it. They're like, just do what you have to do. Give me everything. I just have to get over this. <laughs> you feel kind of yeah. foggy in your head too. <laughs> Oh, there you go. So now, uh, what else is happening? Uh, again, I have my self-hypnosis classes to support your health and hormones that are going to be happening next month. So click on the link in the show notes and use a code to get a really special deal for that. I'm super excited about doing those. And thanks everyone for listening today. Uh, again, you can find our show notes at our website, perimenopausalmamas.com, wherever you're listening to this podcast can email us, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, if this episode gave you a lot of great information, leave us a review and a five-star rating that helps other perimenopausal mamas find us. And you can tell your perimenopausal mama friends about us too. Stay safe and healthy, everyone. Until next time. Bye.